Thanks, guys. Okay. So I got a haircut yesterday. Celeste did the honours. Thank you, Celeste. You did a wonderful job. So what happened was uh, last time I thought, uh, like, we're just cutting the sides at the moment. I'm just sort of testing the waters with my hair at the moment. Last time it was maybe a little bit long. We'll cut it a bit shorter this time. So I said, see, can you please give me a one and then blend it into a two? He's like, yeah, no problem, Jamie. And then, and he did that and he did an absolutely wonderful job. Thank you. See, you did exactly as I asked you to do. And then I checked in the mirror after he finished and I realized what I actually meant was, can you please cut it shorter than what I'm comfortable having my hair? But hallelujah, it will grow back um, in Jesus' name. And then I'll have to rethink my life. Um. <laughs> um, can we please turn to John chapter 4? We're going to be moving around in the Bible a bit today, but if we can keep our finger in John chapter 4, that'll be really good because we're going to be going back to there every now and then. So we're going to read verse 35 and verse 36. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. So, as I said, keep your finger there. We're about to move again, literally right now. So, keep that verse in your head as well. and Remember that, because we're going to compare it with another one. Let's go to Leviticus, the most fun book in the entire Bible, and we'll go to chapter 23, verse 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now, this is used in two completely different contexts, but they're both about farming. The way Jesus meant it was, souls are ready to be saved, disciples are ready to be made. If we change our perspective and get out of whatever is holding us back, then we can move forward and we can start doing it now. Because this is happening all around us right now. The time is now. The time is not revival is coming, revival is coming. Revival is already upon us. Thank you. And we keep, like, we, we always talk about revival. You know? We always pray for it. We say it's coming, and we also say it's here. But we also say that revival must first take place in us. How many of us have heard that? And we kind of understand that, but we kind of don't at the same time. You know, it's like we sort of understand logically that first revival must take place in us, but we don't really know what that looks like. We can't quite wrap our head around it. We just know that it has to happen. And I guess we sort of know in theory that, you know, it, it, it can happen. But it's like, how does it actually happen? How does, how does a revival take place in me? What, what does that look like? And how do I bring it to someone else? How do we get people out there to fill up all these seats and then have more seats and then have no more room left in here and then come up with something else, you know? What does a Christ-centered community look like? How does it start in me? 
this is like the big question that we're always trying to deal with. It's the real question. It's one thing to say revival must happen in us. It's another thing for revival to happen in us. Hallelujah. All right. I want to I want to bring up a little something first. I have I I've often been really guilty of having this confusion over thirst and hunger. You know, if you know what I'm talking about, sometimes I'll be really thirsty, but I'll mistake it for I'm really hungry, and then I'll go and have some food. I'll probably have a lot of food. And then 10 minutes later, I realize I'm still hungry. What's the go with this? I've just eaten. I have a full stomach. Why am I still hungry? And then you know what? I go and have more food. <laughs> and I'm still hungry. And everyone thinks, oh, Jamie, you're a bottomless pit. And it's, I don't really know what's going on. I'm so confused. <laughs> Someone help me. I'm just thirsty. And I mistake it for hunger. You know? So now what I do is if I think I might be hungry, but I'm not really sure, I'll go and have a glass or two glasses of water. And then if I'm still hungry 10 minutes later, then I'll know I really am hungry. You know, it's it's really helpful. Why didn't I learn this when I was a kid? You know, instead of, Mom, I'm hungry, have an apple, you know. Gosh. Like, and, and for guys in particular, like, you know what I'm talking about, because the way to our heart is through our stomach, yeah? Amen. You know what I'm talking about. Food always comes first. Come on, don't worry about water. We can have that anytime. It's it's in abundance. But mate, food, nothing beats a good meal. Anyway, but we, we tend to think with our stomachs. But I think for, for everyone in some degree, we tend to think with our stomachs because we like to put pleasure first before common sense. You know what I mean? So um, we're going to... So back to John chapter 4. We're going to go verse previous and we're going to read verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And that is really awesome. Our food is to do whatever God has called us to do. Our food is to do the stuff. And I've, I've been sitting on, on this sort of topic for maybe a month and a half now. And I've, I've been praying a lot lately just, just in regards to this particular thing. And something that God revealed to me um, about this church in particular is that it has a wonderful heart of service. This church really has a wonderful heart that, that wishes to serve. You know, get in, do the stuff, make a difference. Where can I help? Where can I volunteer? You know, all of that. And that is commendable. But it's like we've gone without water too long. We've been eating. We've been doing the stuff, but we've been going without water. now. It's a good thing to work. It's a good thing to serve. But if I'm eating all the time and I'm going without water, I mean, how long can you go without food? Four to six weeks, depending on your health. How long can you go without water? Three to four days, depending on your health, you know? Like, that's a big difference. We need to be drinking a lot more than we need to be eating, really. But we're eating more than we're drinking. And eventually we start to get tired you know, and, and we don't really know what happened somewhere along the way. We just, we're, we're just going and going and going and going and going and going. And then all of a sudden we realize, whoa, what's happened to me? You know, have you ever had that feeling before? 
I've done it. Too much food and no water is a really bad thing. And it's like, okay, um, how do I drink? What do I do? Okay, food is good, but how do I drink? Let's go to John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38. We all know this one, or many of us do. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so Jesus is saying, you know, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of him will flow rivers of living water. And it's like, well, Jamie, I, I believe in Jesus. I'm doing exactly what that scripture said. You know, what's the go? So, why don't I feel like I'm drinking if I believe in Jesus? And what Jesus said there is, you will drink from me if you believe in me. Let's go back to John. Well, no, we're still in John. Let's go, let's go forward a few chapters. John chapter 15. Now, the whole chapter is really wonderful, but you can really just sum it up all in verse 5, I think. One man was... No... I'm in chapter 5. My bad, guys. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the key is to abide in Christ. When we believe in Christ, we have the opportunity to abide in him, to spend time with him. What? Are the conditions, like, okay, so if Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, and apart from him we can bear no fruit, what are the conditions upon the branches to receive from the vine? There's none really except that they remain connected, and they just, the vine feeds the branches, and that's it, just, just remain connected, that's all. That's the only condition. And if branches are cut away from a vine, they can't really bear fruit. Like they can't do anything. There's no life in them. They can look like branches, but they can't act as branches. They can't operate. You know, it's that's just the way it works. And so branches have to remain connected to the vine. Water comes through, and as a natural process, the fruit happens. Whereas Every single one of us has experienced that at least one point in their lives. I'm not drinking for the vine, from the vine, but I'm trying to make fruit. And it's kind of like, oh, I've got to grow, you know, and, and you kind of get that feeling and it, it's just really uncomfortable. It doesn't work, you know. You can do it for a little while, but you get tired out. We need to be drinking. Can I hear an amen? Oh, hallelujah. Okay. You know, it's like, I mean, the next argument is, but I do drink, Jamie. A fellowship. I, I serve in a ministry. I, I read the word and I pray. Therefore, I'm drinking. You know? That makes sense, doesn't it? I'm doing all the stuff that uh, Acts 2.42 says to do. You know? I'm doing all of that stuff. I'm drinking but why do I feel like I'm not drinking? 
You know, why, why am I tired? This is still really all food. And we've confused it for drink. It's still doing the stuff. Praying is still doing the stuff. How many times have we ever prayed to God? You know, God, do this and save this person and grow me and all this stuff. But we don't tell Jesus that we love him or, or, or you know, something like that. We, we, don't, we don't just want to spend time with God for the sake of spending time with God. You know, we've all, we always come to God with an agenda. And if we're always coming to God with an agenda, if we're always coming to, not that an agenda is a bad thing. I'll, I'll say mission. If we're always coming to God with a mission, with an objective in mind, come on, God, let's do things, let's make changes, we're not spending time with God. That's still doing the stuff. That's still food. That's not drink. Same as reading the Word. If I want to read the Word so that I can change in order to bring change or something like that, if I come to the Bible with a mission in my mind, I'm still doing the stuff. Where's my motivation at? I have turned drink into food. And it's a really confusing thing because we can do it so subtly. It can just happen over time. It can happen in us and we don't even notice, but all of a sudden we're just really tired as a result, even though we're doing the same thing. We're just doing it for different reasons. Are you with me? Okay. And I mean, how many people know that you can serve in a ministry and you can just be worn out eventually? That ain't drink. Ministry is not drink. Ministry can be one of the most tiring things. If you're not drinking from the vine, ministry is going to wreck you. That will be the death of any church. Serving and doing ministry and church programs and all that kind of stuff, but you're not drinking from the vine. That's not kingdom, that's church. We don't need church, we need kingdom. Hallelujah? All right. So, the title of my sermon is Worship is Number One. I tried to come up with a whole bunch of, you know, names like worship before service or something like that. But I, I don't even want to include any of those words in. I just want worship. Because if we spend time with God just in order to bring change, then we've got it wrong. We want to spend time with God simply for the sake of spending time with God. That should be our number one motivation. So, worship is number one. And all else flows out of that. The greatest expression of abiding in Jesus is to worship him. Can I hear an amen? This comes from a heart of honor, adoration, and love. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13 for a second. We'll just read the first three verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. You know, knowledge is absolutely worthless if it's not founded in love. Knowledge is absolutely worthless. If it's not founded in love, it is great to know things. I love knowing things. I'm so hungry for knowledge. But that in itself can be a problem because if I'm not, if, if my first motivation is not to love, if I'm not being directed by God's love, then that knowledge itself is only going to serve my pride. 
And just like everything else, it becomes food, not drink. Love is our source. Love is our drink. We love because God first loved us. So therefore, he loves us and we respond by loving him back. Deeds are absolutely worthless without love. No matter how much ministry we can do, no matter how much counseling we can give to people, no matter how much prayer we can give to people, no matter how much we help someone out practically, where is the value if we're not doing it for love, if we're doing it for service alone or, or we're doing it just to bring change? It loses its potency. It loses its power. It loses God's presence in a sense. Now, I brought up Leviticus 23:22 because, um, you know, the, the edges of the farms were to be left for the people that could not provide for themselves. They were poor. They were sojourners. They were called gleanings or trimmings that, that the people would come to get. So, it, it, I mean, God intended it as a great commandment to, for, for all of Israel to provide for each other. But the thing is, we've, we look at verses like John 4.35, you know, where Jesus says, Open up your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. Take the whole thing, you know. But what we're doing is we're just taking the gleanings. It's, it's not just a problem in the West. It's a problem all over the world. It's a problem in churches in, in every country. We're living as the poor and sojourners because we don't understand what it means to live in Christ. Or we have some understanding, but for some reason it hasn't changed us. We haven't wrapped our heads around it. Revival hasn't happened in our hearts. And because of that, we're always collecting gleanings. And that's really more so because God is gracious and likes to encourage us and say, you're on the right track, just, you know, get it together, rather than we're so good at our jobs. So we're living off gleanings and not the harvest. Do you you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think worship is something we tend to be a little bit confused on. You know, so back in John 4, I'm going to go previously, uh, Jesus is talking at the, the woman at, at the well. Let's go to verse 23, and we'll read verse 24 as well. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You know, And then we go to Romans 12, verse 1, Graham's favorite chapter. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, Here's where it gets tricky. We can take that verse and say that service is worship. And in a form it is. But we end up turning it into our food and not our drink. Because it's not coming first from the Spirit. If we're, just, if, if we're doing it because, okay, this is worship, so I'll do it. 
it, it, it's not coming from the Spirit. It's got to flow from the Spirit. It's got to be done through Jesus, you know, affecting our mind, and then we outwork it. And whatever that service is, we do it for God. If it first comes from the Spirit, that is our spiritual act of worship, and we are displaying it in our actions. It's not getting involved in a ministry, you know? Ministry is brilliant. Let's do it. But it's not our first motivation. Worship is worship. It, 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 it's, it's, it's nothing else. It is our heart. Where is my heart at? Worship is not dependent on a band, first of all. Amen. Worship is a heart condition. Worship is in spirit and in truth, and we know the truth is Jesus. Worship is not restricted to a Sunday service. It is in our everyday living. It doesn't mean that it is service either. Worship is an expression of love for God. And, you know, that we love because God first loved us. That's 1 John four nineteen. if you want to write that one down. You know, you can, and again, all across the world. No, first I want to say this. Do you guys remember that at the 40th anniversary, we had that little video, the tribute to Pastor Rodney, because he's been leading us faithfully for, what, 13, 14 years? Yeah. Yeah, just, just, yeah, yeah, Jamie. Yeah, and, and, and then Steve took over it, and we decided to honor Rodney with a video and, you know, different interviews and stuff like that, and I just can't take anything seriously, and I dressed as a pirate and spoke, you know, I, I tried to make it like Scottish, but I ended up speaking in like four different accents, and I shared a story about a time when <laughs> Rodney rebuked me for something, and, uh, and it changed me, you know. And so what happened was, I want to share that story again because maybe you didn't understand what I was saying because I was speaking in so many different languages. Um, or you weren't here. Uh, you know, th this is a couple of years ago now. Um, see, I love rugby union. I, I, just hallelujah. Um, it's the game they play in heaven, so I hear. And... Um, <laughs> And, um, you know, the Wallabies were playing Argentina on a Sunday morning, right? That, that's when it was on in our time. And I realized if I were to watch the game, I would get to church at about 10.40. You know, so I was going to miss the worship, but I was going to get most of the service. And I thought, well, well that's all right. I'll, I'll, you know, I never really come late to church. I'll just come late to church today, right? I, I really want to watch this game. And we beat Argentina, you know. And then, hallelujah. And then we, I came into church late. I missed worship. I came, like, at the end of worship. And, um, you know, and did the service and everything. Anyway, Rod calls me into his office a couple of days later and uh, he slammed me, <laughs> um, you know, because he saw something I didn't see. He saw the worth in worship. And, and I really enjoy worship. I mean, you can watch me and I, I love doing all the moves and, and stuff like that. And, you know, and Jan's called me the man of a thousand faces, you know, <laughs> when I worship. But, but I, I, I would have rathered watch the game than come to worship. You know, and that said something about my heart. You know, it's, it wasn't, it didn't seem like a big thing, but it said something big in my heart. Where was my priority at? My priority was on a footy game, not worshiping God. I never came late to church again. Well, I tried not to anyway. 
you know, but I, but I made a solid effort after that. And any any time there was a game, I just I'll find out the score afterwards. You know, God is far more important than any rugby game. Oh. Truth is beautiful, can be bitter sometimes, but it's amazing. And so you can, all across the world, you you can tell the condition of a church in this one subtlety. At the start of worship, there'll be 10, 15 people. And at the end of worship, there'll be a full church. Because people, we, we walk into church during worship because we haven't got our stuff together on time, you know, or something like that. Or we think, oh, well, you know, I'm only missing out on a bit of worship. That's okay. It's, it's not really that important. As long as I hear the word, you know? But it should be the other way around. We should be so eager to come to worship instead of receiving the word. Because God deserves glory so much more than I deserve a bit of encouragement. Oh! Hallelujah! Worship should be our number one priority to come to church. I don't want to come late to, to, to church because I'm going to miss out on some worship. I don't care how much of my word you take away. I really don't. My word is not that important. But come on, let's come to worship. Yes! Worship is number one in our lives. Not worship so that I can go and bring change, but worship to worship because God deserves it. And I love God because he first loved me and Jesus died on a cross for me and bled for me and set me free from sin. Worship is number one. You know, and when we, if I come late to worship because I want to hear the word, you know, I, I don't want to come late to the word, but I don't mind coming late to worship. That's okay. No one will really notice, you know, but I want to hear the word because I want to be, you know, it, it, sometimes it, it's not really such as, it might not be such a selfish mindset, you know, I just want to be fed, you know, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes we want to hear the word so that we can be equipped so that we can go and bring change, you know? But in so doing, you know, not worrying about worship, coming late to it or missing it altogether, whatever, anywhere in between, but I want to come to hear the word, I'm actually handicapping myself because I'm not, I'm thinking, I'm deceiving myself. I'm not coming with an open heart like I think I am because I am not making myself vulnerable for God because I don't care about worshiping him, but I want to receive something from him because he's so good, you know. And we end up closing our hearts off a lot, and we don't end up receiving nearly as much as we could receive as if we just wanted to worship God and make ourselves vulnerable to him. You know, uh, I wouldn't be Jamie King if I didn't throw a proverb out that's <laughs> inside joke. Well, it's not really inside because I just told you all I love proverbs. You know, you can fit them into any context just about because they apply to everything. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. I can't really remember what they both say, but they pretty much both say the same thing. One of them says, a righteous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. The law of God is that a generous person will receive. Not for their first motivation. I'm going to give so that I can receive. Ha ha, I've tricked God. Good one. Lovely joke. Now let's go to Luke chapter 7, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. 
Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So let's be generous in worship. Let's give God what he deserves. Let's honor God. Let's declare our love for God. Because I tell you what, he loves us a great deal. We were talking about this in, in Scripture the other day. You know, a relationship is not really a relationship if it doesn't go both ways. And quite often we can pray to God and we can worship God, you know, and we can give everything to God, but we don't really expect him to give us anything in return. But, but God designed us and he designed relationships. He knows how relationships work better than we do. So logically speaking, if we want to give something to God, then we have to expect that he is able to give us something back. That only makes sense, doesn't it? So worship opens us up also to receive. Now, that might sound like a little bit of a motivation, uh, selfish motivation in itself, but as I said, our number one motivation should be to worship God, to worship God. You know? Okay, now we're not going to be running around Scripture for too much longer. Not that I'm apologizing. I'm not going to apologize for using Scripture. Let's go to Ephesians 4.11 for a second. We've, we've been saying this one a lot like over the last year, you know. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, the gifts. I've got to be careful here not to elevate ascension gifts above, you know, people who aren't called to be ascension gifts because everyone is supposed to operate in them to some degree because the ascension gifts are there to train those to operate in those gifts. We're all meant to do it. It's just that some people tend to have more of a focus of one particular one on their life. And sometimes those people can be really, really annoying, you know. But let's not go there. Okay. Now, the job of an ascension gift is not to indulge the church, to feed our stomach. See, we can come into church with one of two motivations, myself or God. It, it's one of the two. If I come in for myself, then I'm coming in to receive a meal that's going to last me the entire week. I'm coming to church to be fed, not to be equipped. If I'm thinking with my stomach, I mean, what happens in the digestive system? It goes in, it comes out, and it doesn't look pretty. It's not pretty. If you've got babies, it makes a mess. But if you're coming in with a heart condition to worship, and the word hits your heart instead of your stomach, well... Where does that go? That stays in you, isn't it? It's the circulatory system or the cardiovascular system. And so it circulates in you. It gives you life. It stays. It doesn't pass through you. 
Because when we just hear a word and we go away and it doesn't change us, we just harden ourselves against it. But if it's changed us, then we can outwork it. And we live and breathe that truth. Like, we can't turn God into a prescription drug, you know? I've done it before. It's, it's, it's not pretty. And, and there's not really any life in that. You feel like you're on life support. God is not a prescription drug that I just come to church to receive my weekly dosage and then go. Worshipping in spirit and in truth doesn't mean I come to church and get it once a week. It means I'm living for God every day simply because I love him. Not because I want to do things for him, but because I love him. Can I can I call the band up, please? To, you know, play something nice and, and soothing. There are there are many gifts in here. Not not just ascension gifts, but motivational gifts, spiritual gifts, all, all this kind of stuff. There are there are gifts in this congregation that maybe you're aware you have something, but you don't know how to tap into it. Maybe you're not aware that you have something, but you really do. What worship does is it it helps us to understand personal calling on our lives. That's what revival in our hearts looks like. We understand who God has called us to be because we understand God. Revival in our hearts looks like just looking at Jesus. That's what it looks like. That's what our heart should be like. And when we look at Jesus, we are just naturally changed. And so what revival does is it, it's like a river. It, it, it passes through. It, we look at Jesus and then we go and do it because we see Jesus and we love Jesus. That's what it looks like. The best way to do that is through worship because worship is expressive. And people say, you know, well, I, I, don't, I don't do what you do, Jamie, I, I, you know, because I'm not an expressive person, you know. Well, okay, you're not an expressive person, but that's a bunch of garbage that you just told me. We can still express ourselves to God. We can still worship God. You know, worship is the height of human experience. There is no greater thing than to worship God. It is what we were designed for. We were designed for worship. Every man, woman, and child has the ability to worship God. It is our highest calling. You know, uh, Pastor Rod mentioned John Piper's, uh, one of John Piper's quotes um, sometime earlier this year. He said, missions exists because worship doesn't. The whole point of bringing people to salvation, the whole point of discipleship, all of it is not to go out and change the world. We're already doing that. The whole point of it all is to worship God. So if we're not already doing it, or if our hearts are not in worship, I mean, we can worship and we can enjoy it, but if it's not our first motivation, then what are we discipling people into? Worship is the number one motivation. It's the only motivation. Everything else is just a wonderful byproduct of that. So let us come unashamedly to God. Let's worship Him for who He is. You know, Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So why should we be ashamed to worship God? 
You know, people go and see their bands and, and they all rush to the front and they all go crazy. You know? I'm not saying we need to go crazy, but let's settle it in our hearts not to worship God in order to get something from it, but to say, I love you, Jesus. You know, the most on-point people with their theology that I've ever met or their understanding of God, they're the people who can go into a room by themselves with no music and just put their knees on the floor and raise their hands and say, I love you, Jesus. They're the people I've known that are the most switched on and that just get Christianity. You ever meet those people that just get it? And they just do it and, and they don't look worn out? That's those people. They just love Jesus and they're not, a, they're not afraid to tell God that. And so, if we worship God, we can also come to expect things from Him. So, you know, next week, okay, church starts at 10, worship starts at 10. Let's all be here before 10 o'clock because we want to worship God because we love God. And then let us bring a pen and paper. Let us come in expectation to receive something, to be equipped, not fed. We'll always get more when we honor the person that we, you know, we're listening to. Let's honor God. Let's love God. And let's get from God so that we can go and do some things for God. Revival must first take place in us. Worship is revival. Worship in our hearts is revival in our hearts. That's as simple as I can say it. It's got to come from something real. If you don't feel that love for God, then start to speak it. Start to declare it. And guess what? You'll convince yourself because God will change you. That's a spiritual truth right there that I love Jesus. So I'm going to declare it. And I'm going to feel it. I'm going to know it. And it's going to bring change in my life. And every bit of knowledge that I have and every bit of service that I have is going to come to life like you've never seen. So let's... Stand to our feet, to our feet. We're going to pray, and then we're going to spend some time in worship. Thank you, Jesus. You came to earth for us. You became a person for us. You died for us, you bled for us, and you dragged sin and death to the grave. You emerged again victorious for our sake. You did it because you love us. And we declare, Lord, with all of our hearts that we love you. We love you because you love us. We don't stand a chance without your love. Whatever endeavor we undertake, it is worthless without your love. So, Lord, may your love change us right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we worship you. We honor you. We bring you praise and glory. We want to see you and we want to know you so much more. Lord, we wish to worship in spirit and in truth, not just on a Sunday service, but in everything we do. That every little thing we do, we would do in the name of Jesus Christ and our love for you. We choose to put you first in our lives. Lord, we are so sorry for everything that we have put before you. Lord, we hand these idols to you. 
They, they're yours, God. Deal with them. We don't want them anymore. We are your servants. We are your children. We love you. We honor you. You are number one in our lives. Have your way in us. Have your way in us. Because what you would have of us is the very best for us. What you would have of us is yourself in us. Do your work. Thank you, Jesus.